Hey there, future friends! Welcome to the 12 Streams of Christmas Future Flicks Holiday Special. So let's ho ho hope you find something to enjoy this year. Welcome to the show, everyone. If you do hear some popping and cracking in the background, I have a fire going. So that may explain any noises you hear. Well, let me tell you what this show is. My friends, normally I talk about movies that are coming out during the week and then I give you my thoughts on them. But this episode, I am going over 12 movies that are available on streaming to watch this year. Because maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't have a big collection and you're looking for something on a service you already have. A lot of these are Netflix because I was trying to make these streaming originals. So that way it wouldn't be, oh, hey, jingle all the way on Amazon or HBO Max. I forgot which one it's on. I wanted these to be original to streaming. I also I also may have more to say about some of the movies because like the movie we're going to start with, I may have seen it recently. While some on this list, it's been at least a year since I've seen them. But just a reminder, this is the last episode of the year. I will not be back until January. I should be dropping this episode on Monday, I think. 12 Days of Christmas, that'll end this on... If you watch one movie a day, it should end it on the 24th, and I like to do that. Because look, if you're really following this list, if you really are, it gives you Christmas open, and I like that. So we're going to start with day one, which is a little niche, but I really, really had trouble finding Christmas movies original to a streaming service that wasn't just all Netflix, because Netflix has a lot of them. They have so many. I could have done a 12 list just off Netflix. I probably could have done 12 12 lists just off Netflix. Okay, maybe not that many, but the first movie in the 12 streams of Christmas comes from Roku. Yes, the Roku service. It's called Zoe's Extraordinary Christmas. On her first holiday without her father, Zoe wants to create a magical Christmas for her family, just like the ones Mitch used to do. This stars Jane Levy from Don't Breathe, Skylar Austin from Pitch Perfect, Alex Newell from Glee, John Clarence Stewart from Luke Cage, Andrew Leeds from A Million Little Things, Alice Lee from Brittany Runs a Marathon, Bernadette Peters from Mozart in the Jungle, Peter Gallagher from The O.C., Mary Steenburgen from Step Brothers, David James Elliott from JAG, and from the Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist TV show, Michael Thomas Grant, Kapil Talwakar, and Morgan Taylor Campbell. Yes, this is the Christmas movie for the television show Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which was canceled on NBC. And I knew going in that it was going to be canceled. Not because it was bad. It was really good. It's a really well done show. But I knew it was going to be canceled because it was original. And the major four networks are just garbage. They just produce the same garbage over and over. Which is exactly why you see more and more people cutting the cord and going to streaming. 
we don't need to watch NCIS San Bernardino, okay? We don't need to see that. But Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist was this really dumb idea, but it worked because it was a show about grief and overcoming grief and dealing with grief. Because we had Zoe who, who I think she's having headaches or something, so her doctor wanted her to get a CAT scan or an MRI or, or something. And she goes to get it, and there's a power outage when that happens, and it causes the tech's iPod or iPhone or whatever, all of the music to go into her head. So now she can hear what she calls people's heart songs. So whatever they're really feeling, she'll hear and see them sing it out loud. One of the earlier examples of this is one of her co-workers. She just hears him singing Everybody Hurts. And so he's singing this song, but when she snaps out of it, he's, you know, just smiling, doing his thing. And so she knows something is wrong. And her father is also dying of this rare neurological disease, and he can't speak but they can communicate through the songs. The show was canceled after two seasons. Then Roku got the rights, did this Christmas movie for it. And they say, hey, if the Christmas movie does well enough, if enough people watch Zoe on Roku, we will bring the show back. So there is hope for the fans. But the question now is, will you be confused if you had never seen the TV show? Well, first, obviously watch the TV show. It's delightful. It's really good. And if you were a fan of Glee, it might scratch that itch for you. And if you didn't like Glee, like me, I was not a Glee fan. It's not nearly as cringy as Glee was. So you may be a little confused, but they do catch you up with everything like Zoe and her powers and what eventually happened to her dad. And it's actually a very emotional and powerful Christmas movie because there were two scenes in particular that I don't want to spoil that were just really well done. Because in this movie, Zoe's boyfriend also has the power. Like, it was passed over to him somehow, and he has it too. And they're around the dinner table for Christmas dinner, or Christmas Eve dinner, or something like that. And he's hearing the pain that they all have inside. And he's just kind of staring off into nowhere, crying as he's hearing them sing. And that is one reason I think this is a good early on in the season Christmas movie. Because you want to be happy, right? You do. You don't want this close to the holidays. But it is a movie that reminds you it's Christmas at all times, and it's just a really well-done film. And if this is all we get, if the fans of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist only get this, it's a good ending. Would I love more seasons? Of course I would love more seasons as a show, but season one and two ending with this, it does wrap it up well. So Roku is a free service, and I do believe they have ads. I can't remember if Zoe had ads, but if they did, it wasn't enough to bother me. Like, I was trying to watch something on Pluto or Tubi or, or one of those things, and it was just way too many ads, and I just couldn't do it. But I don't think Roku had that many, if any at all. My friends, let's move on to day two with something a little more standard, you know, what you'd expect for a Christmas movie. This is a Disney Plus original movie that came out last year, and it's called Godmothered. A young and unskilled fairy godmother ventures out on her own to prove her worth by tracking down a young girl whose request for help was ignored. This stars Jillian Bell from 22 Jump Street, Isla Fisher from Now You See Me, June Squibb from About Schmidt, Sonia Manzano from Sesame Street, Jane Curtin from Third Rock from the Sun, and Mary Elizabeth Ellis from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I am simultaneously critical 
and not critical of movies. I'm critical in the sense that I will call out shit I don't like when I see it. But also, if it's during the holidays, I am much more forgiving of films that are run-of-the-mill and predictable. And while Godmother does have some interesting new twists on things, like a unskilled fairy godmother just trying to do her best because she doesn't, you know, have her wings. I forgot exactly how it worked, but she wasn't a full-fledged fairy godmother yet. Uh, That's a good idea. But also, this is a familiar movie. We have this little girl who asked for help from her fairy godmother, and the fairy godmother never came. And now it's been decades later. That girl is now an adult with her own kids. She has this very negative Christmas attitude. And it's up to the godmother, played by Jillian Bell, to help her, Isla Fisher, remember that there's magic in the world and also not ruin it for her kids. This is also very predictable in the way that we have Jillian Bell's godmother out in the real world not knowing how things work, just like we had Buddy and Elf acting that way. So this movie does have quite a few common tropes in it. But I do think that's more forgivable when we have a Christmas movie on our hands. And part of that, I think, is because we expect certain things from our Christmas movies. Popular Christmas movies don't push the envelope that much. Elf kind of did, but it still had the familiar tropes. Hell, Office Christmas Party, if you melt it down to its bare-bones plot, is a familiar Christmas story. So not only is Godmother cute, but it's fun for the whole family. In fact, I think all of these are fun for the whole family. I mean, not really all of them. Okay, not all of them. But Godmothered is fun for the whole family on Disney+. Plus. Perfect for the second day of Christmas. For the third day of Christmas, we have a new film from Netflix. And it's called Father Christmas is Back. So yes, this came out this year. I'm going to do my own premise for this one because the... IMDb one doesn't make any sense. I mean, I get what they're going for, but it's obviously an oversight. Look, I know IMDb is kind of like Wikipedia in the sense that normal people can edit it, but a lot of the information does come from the studio filmmakers and other people in the, in the industry. But come on, no matter who it is, check your shit. Spelling errors in a text message I get, but this, come on. So Father Christmas is Back is about the Christmas family and how uh, one of them is super stoked on Christmas, wants it to be a every Christmas to be great and perfect because her father left on Christmas. She brings the whole family over and who suddenly shows up but that estranged father. Turns out the youngest daughter who never really knew the father uh, visited him in America and invited him to Christmas in Yorkshire. And with him back, all of the hidden feelings become unraveled. This stars Elizabeth Hurley from Austin Powers. John Cleese from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Kelsey Grammer from Frasier, Chris Marshall from Love Actually, Ray Farron from Beauty and the Beast, and Tallulah Riley from Westworld. I almost took this one off the list. I did, because it's not my favorite. I think, I think I've watched it once and I think that's it. Unlike other movies on this list, I don't think it had that critical rewatchability. But I also have spent so much time on the show talking about some of the other Netflix movies like A Christmas Prince and Princess Switch and things like that, that I didn't want to mention those. And also this one came out this year. So let's talk about what worked and what didn't. And let's start with what didn't. What didn't work is that the pacing was really weird. It it was dry and British. And 
I watch a lot of British things, so I should be used to that. But what I wasn't used to was just how much utter downtime there was in this movie. I think they could have either interjected another story into the same amount of time and made it more interesting or shortened it and made it more interesting. Also, some of the characters just sucked. And I'm keeping these uh, pretty spoiler free. So all I can just say is that even, even though John Cleese is funny, his character is kind of a piece of shit. And out of the four daughters, the youngest one is just a bitch. Because we have the eldest who's the, or who I think is the eldest, who's the one that's super into Christmas. Everything has to be super perfect. Kind of think of the mom from Krampus. We have the one next in line who's the stereotypical older woman who doesn't want to admit that she's getting older. The next one is just the weird one. She's kind of a little, you know, does her own thing. In this movie, she's writing a thesis, which she's been writing for like five, six years on the Beatles. And the youngest is just a bitch because she is the one that invites the dad to the party, doesn't tell anyone, which is awful. It's an awful thing to do, especially considering the family's history and the history with the dad. And then she steals the car of the second daughter and then just talks shit about one of the others. And it's just, she's just a horrible character. And I'm supposed to care about her? I actually found Kelsey Grammer, who was the dad who ran off leaving them on Christmas Day, as one of the more sympathetic characters. But those bad points aside, it is a good Christmas movie because it reminds you that it's Christmas all the time. There's always something to remind you that it's Christmas. And that is why sometimes with some of these Christmas films, I don't count it because it's easy to forget. Godmothered could have been a little more Christmassy. Another bonus to this film is that it's another chance to see Kelsey Grammer and Elizabeth Hurley again. And, and John Cleese, though John Cleese does uh, get around more than some of the others. But when's the last time you saw Kelsey Grammer or, Liz or Elizabeth Hurley in anything new? So yes, this may be the last time I ever talk about this in a Christmas episode. I do feel justified talking about it because it, yes, is a Christmas movie and it's very current. But also it's hard to feel bad for anyone that lives in a mansion. So we have that too. Next up, we have another Disney Plus film called Noel. This one from 2019. This is uh, day four, of course. Santa's daughter must take over the family business when her father retires and her brother, who was supposed to inherit the Santa role, gets cold feet. This stars Anna Kendrick from Pitch Perfect, Shirley MacLaine from Steel Magnolias, Bill Hader from It Chapter 2, Kingsley Ben-Adir from High Fidelity, the TV show, Julie Haggerty from Airplane, Billy Eichner from Billy on the Street, and comedian and voice actor Ron Funches. And yes, I know, Ron Funches has been in a lot of things, but there's not one thing, really, that I can name that you go, oh yeah, him. I know Anna Kendrick might not be everyone's favorite person, especially because recently it seems like more and more stories of her being just a huge bitch have just surfaced. But seeing as how many people out there are some sort of creep or racist, just being a bitch isn't that bad. It's kind of like Leah Michelle from Glee, if you remember. She's, every now and then, comes under fire for something. And then a lot of her co-stars defend her going, no, she's just a regular bitch. She's not a racist bitch or a, a creepy bitch. She's just a regular bitch. A bitch to everyone. So I still feel okay recommending a movie with Anna Kendrick in it, as opposed to if Kevin Spacey came out with a new movie, I'd be like, eh, no. I mean, I love Fred Claus. Fred Claus is one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies, but it still gives me the creeps that Kevin Spacey is in it. 
And Baby Driver is a fantastic movie, but both Kevin Spacey and Ansel Elgort, ooh, oh no. But Noel, it's it's wholesome. And it's a it's a new familiar story. Because these aren't stories that have been around forever. This story of the girl of the family who is the right person to take over for the family business, but the dad's like, no, my son will do it. You, daughter, go and procreate. Have babies, because that's what women do. Only to learn that, oh, maybe she is the right one. So it's a cheesy and predictable story, but when it comes to Christmas movies, that's what we look for. We look for these things that show us what the holiday is about. It's about family. It's about love. It's about the Christmas spirit, and this is a good movie for that. And Anna Kendrick and Bill Hader, comedy giants, Shirley McLean, legend. It's a good cast, it's a cute movie, and it's worth being your pick for the fourth night of Christmas. All right, my friends, on the fifth night, I think I've been saying day this whole time, but on the fifth night of Christmas, we have another new one called A Boy Called Christmas. This is a Netflix original, like I said, new, so this year. In this origin story of Father Christmas sets out on an extraordinary adventure to find his father who is on a quest to discover the fabled village of Elfheim. This stars Maggie Smith from Gosford Park, Joel Fry from Yesterday, Michael Huisman from The Haunting of Hill House, Jim Broadbent from Moulin Rouge, Rune Tempt from Eddie the Eagle, Kristen Wiig from Bridesmaids, Toby Jones from Captain America the First Avenger, Sally Hawkins from The Shape of Water, Zoe Margaret Coletti from Fear the Walking Dead, and introducing Henry Lawful as that boy called Christmas. I really liked this one. Uh, that's why I don't understand why Netflix gets so much shit from certain cinephiles, and I do use cinephiles with sarcastic air quotes. Yeah, do they make bad movies? Of course they do. They make some terrible movies. Six Underground was one of the worst movies I have ever seen. But they also make something like this, which was good, it was enjoyable, it was wholesome, it was, it was just nice. It was just a nice movie. This is actually the first of two Santa Claus origin stories on this list. And this actually the first of two Netflix Santa Claus origin stories on this list. And it also reminds me of A Princess Bride because it's a very storytelling presentation. We have Maggie Smith watching over her three great nephew nieces and nephews or something her niece's kids that's how that works but she's watching over them and they don't like her very much they think she's old and stuffy and mean and she decides to tell them the story of a boy called christmas so we have this boy nicholas who his father is being sent out because the king says hey life kind of sucks i want someone to remind me or to show everyone hope to give everyone in the kingdom hope and if you can do that, basically you won't have to worry about money again for the rest of your life. So his father goes out with this other group of guys and just doesn't come back. So Nicholas, who's been left in the care of his horrid aunt, leaves on his own to go find this village. And guess what? He does. Uh, that's as much as I'll say because the rest is a spoiler. But this movie is full of Christmas. There is always a reminder that's Christmas, and even when the when they have scenes of them traveling or being outdoors or something like that, there's a lot of snow, which can act as a buffer between scenes with a lot of Christmas decorations and stuff like that. And the great thing about the character of Santa Claus is we can say whatever we want as the origin story. It's not like uh, Walt Disney, where if we made a movie about the origin of Walt Disney, 
that's a pretty set story. I mean, you can embellish it a bit like a lot of biopics do, but that story is pretty... It's done. We know what the story is. But with Santa Claus, we can do whatever we want. And look, I'm not saying Santa isn't real. I'm just saying we don't know his story. He hasn't written his his own autobiography yet. So until then, hey, we can only guess at uh, how he became Santa. The main thing I didn't like about A Boy Called Christmas was the character of Nicholas's dad. And again, I can't go into too much detail because of spoilers, but he felt like a throwaway character. Like he really didn't matter. You could have taken him out of the story entirely and just sent Nicholas to Elfheim or Elfhelm, whatever it's called, to on his own quest to find uh, hope and joy for the kingdom and just taking the dad out entirely and would have made no difference at all. The dad's story and fate does not impact the story. But what is interesting to point out was that Sally Hawkins killed it. She gave an amazing performance. I don't think anyone told her that it wasn't a super serious movie because she crushed it. Two of her big scenes were just really, really well done. Like, the emotion was just radiating off her, and she turned it up to 11. And it does say a lot about Henry Lawful that he did have to act alongside her in his first role. But he did hold his own. A Boy Called Christmas was cute. It may be even worth a yearly rewatch. Uh, I think it was that good. I hope you give this a shot. I hope you watch it, and I hope you like it. My friends, let's jump to another movie that came out this year. Number six, Night Six, that is, is another Disney Plus original. Home Sweet Home Alone is about a married couple who tries to steal back a valuable heirloom from a troublesome kid. This stars Archie Yates from Jojo Rabbit, Ellie Kemper from The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Rob Delaney from Deadpool 2, Kenan Thompson from Good Burger, Pete Holmes from The Pete Holmes Show, Chris Parnell from Saturday Night Live fame, and Devin Brattay from Home Alone, the original, too, and The Tick. He's Buzz in the original two Home Alones, and he plays Buzz in this, too. So here's the thing. Before this movie came out, there were five Home Alone movies. Home Alone 1 through 4 and Home Alone The Holiday Heist. This is the fifth, no, I'm sorry, this is the sixth movie in the Home Alone series, and it's the third best. But that's not really a huge selling point because it's not that hard to be better than 3, 4, and 5 because 3 was passable, 4, and 5 were awful. And I did try and watch 4 and 5. I just couldn't get through them. But 3 was was cute, I guess. It, just very forgettable and skippable. But this one... Okay, here's the thing. Home Sweet Home Alone, aka Home Alone 6, had the best story out of the entire series. Out of all of the movies, even the first two, it has the better story, but it is not the better movie. As a quality film, one and two were much better. Remember, one and two were directed by Chris Columbus and written by John Hughes. That is a really good combination there. And while the story of Home Alone 1 and 2 are fine, what this one does better is it gives a better setup. How was the kid left at home? I still think the mother from Home Alone, even though I love Catherine O'Hara to death, she is a terrible mother. Kevin McAllister had terrible parents. He has a terrible family. No wonder he ended up like the brat he was. How they explain Archie Yates' character, how he gets left behind, is so much better and believable. 
It's still negligent on the part of the parents. I can see that happening. And why are the burglars trying so hard? Like the minute I try to rob that house and the first trap hit me, I'd be like, nope, f it. I am out of here. It's not worth it. My back hurts because of those stairs. Thank you very much. But this movie gives the robbers, who is this married couple, a, a very full backstory. They are equally main characters. Like the story is half about them. While with Harry and Marv in the first two, they're just thieves. That's it. Nothing else. They are just thieves. In this one, with Ellie Kemper and Rob Delaney, they at least explain why they are trying to do this. So the story of Home Sweet Home Alone is more fleshed out. But it's only the third best Home Alone movie because we watch these films for the traps, for the comedy, for the physical comedy. That's why we watch them. The physical comedy part of Home Sweet Home Alone was very small because it had another story to tell that was more important. In this case, I actually wonder why they made it a Home Alone movie instead of just doing the movie they wanted to and just saying, oh, we had this little scene of it to pay homage to Home Alone. But you know what? If you want something to watch with your family, this is great. This is a great movie because it'll give you that Home Alone nostalgia. It's something new that could be new for your whole family. And it just has a good story, a good and more believable story. I rewatch Home Alone 1 and 2 every year, every year without fail. This one, probably every other year. But just remember, when you're going in to watch this movie, remember, you're watching the sixth Home Alone movie. And that's where your expectations should be. And if you keep your expectations there, this movie's going to surpass them. Next up, my friends, we have another Netflix movie, this one from 2019 called Klaus. A simple act of kindness always sparks another, even in a frozen, faraway place. When Smearnsburg's new postman, Jesper, befriends toymaker Klaus, their gifts melt an age-old feud and deliver a sleigh full of holiday traditions. This is an animated film that features the voices of Jason Schwartzman, J.K. Simmons, Rashida Jones, Will Sasso, the late Norm MacDonald, and Joan Cusack. So here we are with the second Santa Claus origin story. But this one is a little different. This one has this guy named Jesper who is related to the head postmaster or something in whatever country they're in. And he's kind of a slacker, takes his job for granted, doesn't work that hard. And so his father is punishing him, basically going, hey, I don't want to fire you, but you suck. So as punishment, I'm going to send you to this backwater nowhere town and you have to be their postman. And if it doesn't work out, then you're fired. And when he's there, that's when he eventually meets Klaus, this local toy maker. And due to story specifics, I won't give away here. They end up working together and building toys and delivering these toys. This is a very wholesome movie. It's an animated film that's great for kids. And even if you don't have any kids, it's great to watch yourself because it's a good quality animated movie. Not like uh, last week's Out of the Outback. I was talking about that Australian original animated movie. It just looks awful. So this has good quality art. It looks good. It has a familiar and hopeful story. Even though Christmas isn't a thing yet in this film, it really does give off the Christmas spirit. So there are not a lot of lights and Christmas trees, but there is snow. And they are inventing what will eventually become Christmas. So I think 
this movie does a really good job, something that A Boy Called Christmas does as well, of setting up a world where Christmas doesn't exist, but also having the whole movie have this great Christmas feeling about it. Because even though with movies like this, Christmas as we know it isn't going to happen until the end, it's still a good movie for the holidays. Klaus was well done. Unlike a lot of animated movies, which throw a lot of famous people into it that don't need to be there, this one I get. I get Jason Schwartzman. I get J.K. Simmons, of course. Uh, Rashida Jones, Will Sasso, Norm MacDonald, jo Joan Cusack. I get all of them because they bring something special to the table where movies like Doolittle, it wasn't animated, but it had a lot of voices in it. But Jesus, we had people like Remy Malek, John Cena, Tom Holland, and Selena Gomez doing voices. And while I may like them, they had no reason to be doing a voice for this when a voice actor could have done that instead. But with Klaus, I get it. I get this casting because Jason Schwartzman, J.K. Simmons are big enough names that would draw people to it, but they also can bring something to the table that would be unique. Just like J.K. Simmons doing the voice in Invincible. I get it. Klaus is fun. Klaus is cute. Klaus is a visually visually enjoyable movie to watch, and it's a good one for night seven. I just realized we never took a break, so let's take a break and hear a word from our good friends at the other shows, and we'll be right back with nights 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall -wall filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> the f*** did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f***s and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? F*** all that a jelly bean. So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMpodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're, We're Doing, Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies? Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're, we're doing, doing fine. fine. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Let's start with Night 8, which is 8-Bit Christmas. This is a new movie, just came out this year, last month actually, on HBO Max. In 1980s Chicago, a 10-year-old sets out on a quest to get the Christmas gift of his generation, the latest and greatest video game system. 
So I was blessed. I was born in 1983. So when I wanted one, my parents had no trouble finding it. I actually, this is actually something I remember. I, I don't remember a lot uh, from my past, but I do remember this Christmas because we're opening gifts at my grandparents' house. My grandparents used to live in town. I was very, very close with my grandpa. And I was opening gifts. And I don't think they were paying attention to which gifts I was opening in which order. Because, you know, if you get your kid something and you get them, like, the main thing and then parts to it, you don't let them open the parts first because they'll spoil what they got. Luckily, I was stupid. <laughs> Not much has changed, but I was stupid. And I opened up a Nintendo game. And I was like, oh, but Grandma, I don't have one of these. I have an Atari. And in my defense, I thought that... Grandma just didn't know what game I had because she never played video games. And then I opened my Nintendo Entertainment System and I, and I loved it. So this movie spoke to me right away and it spoke to me in a different way and in probably one of my most controversial Christmas opinions, it spoke to me in this way. I think A Christmas Story is a terrible movie. I think people who like it, like it based on nostalgia's sake alone, and if they had never watched it as a kid or never watched it growing up, they would not like it now. Because I did not watch it as a kid, I, I never watched it. And a few years back I watched it, and it was awful. The story is pointless, the characters are stupid, like any kid that wasn't Ralphie was an idiot. And when this movie came out, I heard it compared to a Christmas story, that this was a Christmas story for a new generation. So I was like, okay, maybe I might like this one. So I watched it, and you know what? It was a lot better than a Christmas story. If you have wonderful memories of that movie, look, I'm sorry, but I honestly don't think you would like it if you watched it for the first time now. It is not good. This movie, though, is fine. It's a, it's a, obvious story. It's a story that was made famous by a Christmas story. This kid wants something. His parents aren't going to get it for him, so he has to go to drastic measures to get it. So it's a familiar story that more of us can relate to with better acting. This is a win-win. So this is a good Christmas movie, and let's be honest, it is a period piece because it takes place in the past, in the 80s, but it's not a super over-the-top period piece. It's very realistic. Not with everything in your face. Look how 80s this is. It, it just, it's there. Wonder Woman 1984, despite what you think of it as a movie, did the same thing with the 80s, where it was like, hey, this is the 80s, and we're not going to throw it in your face, but it's obvious. So 8-Bit Christmas was good, uh, especially if you already have HBO Max. If you don't, Hey, ask a friend. I think you can have up to three or four people streaming at a time on one account. It's definitely worth your time. Wait, that was night nine. Okay, I got my count all messed up. So now we're on to night ten. We have four movies left. So the tenth night of Christmas, we have the Netflix original film from this year, Love Hard. An L.A. girl, unlucky in love, falls for an East Coast guy on a dating app and decides to surprise him for the holidays only to discover that she's been catfished. This lighthearted romantic comedy chronicles her attempts to reel in love. This stars Nina Dobrev from The Final Girls, Jimmy O. Yang from Fantasy Island, Darren Barnett from Never Have I Ever, James Saito from Always Be My Maybe, Rebecca Stab from The Miracle Season, and Harry Shum Jr. from Glee. So once again, which is always the case with Christmas movies, if you've been listening to this episode, we have 
a movie that has a familiar premise and it's done in different enough of a way for it to not be a carbon copy of someone else or of something else. Because we have this guy played by Jimmy O. Yang who catfishes Nina Dobrev. He has this picture of this kind of douchey looking guy in his late 20s, early 30s, something like that, wears beanies. But not like a normal person beanie. The beanies like those hipsters wear it where it looks like a condom because it's a little puffy at the top. Just pull it down over your head, dude. Come on. Yes, Evan, I'm talking to you if you're listening. I still love you, though. But anyway, she thinks she's talking to this guy because he even sends pictures and everything with proof. Little does she know it's photoshopped. And she shows up on his door, surprising him. And guess what? It's not this handsome guy played by Darren Barnett. It's Jimmy O. Yang, who's a short Asian man. So she gets him to help set her up with the real guy because he does know this person. And maybe, just maybe along the way, they might fall in love. Look, I didn't want to spoil the endings for the other movies, but this one's obvious. We know where this one's going. We know where it's going. And what impressed me with this movie is it doesn't defend him for catfishing her, but it also shows how she's catfishing the other guy. Because she has Jimmy O. Yang telling her everything that this other guy likes, so she can pretend to like it too. Pretend to like rock climbing. Pretend to like sports in general and being outdoorsy and stuff, even though she's not. So then when he finds out, he gets mad at her for catfishing him, not catfishing through looks, but by interests and personality. And then Jimmy O. Yang brings up the important point with, hey, we got along. I may have been catfishing you with the pictures, but that was really us talking. That was really us falling for each other. And let's be honest, if I didn't have that picture, would you have even looked at me, given me a second shot? Which I liked that because it wasn't defending his choice, but it was bringing up a good point. Because I'll be honest, in my youth, I went out with some girls that were way, way out of my league. I even married way out of my league. Though in my wife's defense, she was never the shallow type. So while I would never catfish someone like Jimmy O. Yang's character did, I can see where he's coming from with like, hey, I have something to offer. You just aren't giving me the chance. But to be fair, if they don't want to give you the chance because of your looks, they're not worth your time anyway. But if we thought logically about this movie, it wouldn't happen. So what I do like is that Love Hard had both of them have their bad moments. Like they both catfished. It was wrong. But through it all, they found each other. This was a very cute movie. And this is a great way to show examples of representation in movies. Jimmy O. Yang, James Saito, and Harry Shum Jr. All three of them are Asian. And the fact that they were Asian wasn't really a big part of the plot. They could have been black. They could have been Middle Eastern. They could have been white. They could have been Native American. This is a great example of representation because it's just a movie. You can have minorities in movies without the plot having to focus around the fact that they're minorities. But that aside, Love Hard is just a dumb rom-com. It's cute, it's predictable, and it's full of the Christmas spirit, and it's a great movie for the 10th night of Christmas. All right, my friends, we have two movies left. I believe I've talked about both of these before, but out of all of the streaming originals, these are two of my favorite as far as quality goes. I just want to give a notable mention to another movie, I was going to talk about Anna and the Apocalypse. I thought it was a Hulu original, but Hulu just got it. It wasn't a Hulu original movie because they also let it go. If you have a Canopy account, 
Remember, I've mentioned Canopy before. If you have a library card, you can get a Canopy account for free. You get about somewhere between 5 and 10 streams a month, I think, ad-free. And Canopy is the place where Anna and the Apocalypse move to. It's a musical Christmas zombie movie. It is fun. It has some good songs in it. And it really, really didn't go where I thought it was going to go. So it did surprise me in the end, which I thought was really good. So not an original like I thought it was, so I had to take it off the list, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. It's on Canopy. You can also rent it on Amazon Prime, Vudu, YouTube, and Google. And I think iTunes, too, or Apple Movies, or whatever it's called now. So my future friends, the 11th night of Christmas brings us to the final Hulu movie. This came out last year in 2020, and it's called Happiest Season. A holiday romantic comedy that captures a range of emotions tied to wanting your family's acceptance, being true to yourself, and trying not to ruin Christmas. This stars Kristen Stewart from Underwater, Mackenzie Davis from Terminator Dark Fate, Mary Steenburgen for the second time this episode in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. She's also an elf, by the way. Victor Garber from DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Allison Brie from Glow, Mary Holland from Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek, Burl Mosley from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, Aubrey Plaza from Parks and Rec, Sarayu Blue from Blockers, and Anna Gusteyer from Saturday Night Live. So you may have heard me talking about this movie before. I've mentioned it on the show. I think it even was a pick for last year's Christmas show. And it's just a good movie, even though it has some of my most hated characters in a Christmas movie. So Kristen Stewart's character is dating Mackenzie Davis's character. They've been together for a while, but Mackenzie Davis's character is the daughter of a political family, a right-wing political family. A right-wing political family that prides itself on its Christian values kind of thing. You can see where this is going. So she's not out yet, but she wants to spend the holidays with her with her loved one. So she invites Kristen Stewart to her family's Christmas uh, celebration and to spend Christmas with them under the guise that Kristen Stewart can't go home for Christmas, so she's spending Christmas with them. Kristen Stewart's character is gay, but Mackenzie Davis is not. She would never. And that is a shitty situation to put a loved one in. But when the movie was starting, I also had to keep in mind that, yes, um, that is the reality for a lot of LGBTQ people who aren't out to their parents and they may not be understanding. But they all just turn out to be pretty shitty people. And to this day, I still think Kristen Stewart deserved better. But it's still a good movie. And it's still a good lesson on sometimes the holidays aren't easy. Sometimes it's quite hard. Sometimes you may have something you want to tell your family. And it it can seem selfish to do it around the holidays. Because what if it ruins the holidays? You ruined Christmas because you had to share this now. But you can't look at it like that. You can't let the possibility of someone's intolerance or hate stop you from your truth. If you were a fan of The Family Stone, you may like this, because I did not like The Family Stone, because everyone was awful. Everyone was awful. The most relatable and understandable character was Sarah Jessica Parker, and she was still an idiot. Or let me rephrase. She was either mentally ill or somewhere on the spectrum, or she was an idiot. So where in The Family Stone, no one was good and everyone just kind of sucked, in Happiest Season, we do have some good characters. We have Kristen Stewart, we have 
Uh, Mary Holland, who plays one of the daughters of the family, but she was just wholesome and kind the whole time. Dan Levy, of course, is great in anything he touches, and Aubrey Plaza. And despite my reservations regarding the family, this was still a good movie and still a good movie for Christmas. It is also good for representation because Kristen Stewart is... She's either bi or gay. I forgot which one, but she's one of the two. Uh, Dan Levy is gay. And I think Aubrey Plaza is bi. So this is really good for not just Christmas, but for trying to get more movies in your repertoire that have good representation in it. So that's two good reasons to watch this movie. And it's also just good. It's also not often that I don't like Mary Steenburgen's character. And this is one of the times. It has nothing to do with her. She's a good actress. It's the character I don't like. And same with Victor Garber. He looks like a sweetheart in most things I watch him in. But this, God, I wanted to punch him in his schnapps. Happiest Season is a good Christmas movie. And going forward, it's going to be one of my yearly rewatches. Well, my future friends, let us end this with the final movie. The 12th Night of Christmas with Jingle Jangle. This was a Netflix original movie from 2020. An imaginary world comes to life in a holiday tale of an eccentric toy maker, his adventurous granddaughter, and a magical invention that has the power to change their lives forever. This stars Madeline Mills in her first performance, Forrest Whitaker from The Last King of Scotland, Keegan-Michael Key from Keanu, Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey, Anika Noni Rose from Bates Motel, Felicia Rashad from Creed, and musician Ricky Martin. So if you know me, you know I love musicals. This is a Christmas musical. Much like I was talking about Anna and the Apocalypse as a Christmas zombie musical, this is a wholesome Christmas musical that just explodes Christmas into your face and has a really good story for the Christmas spirit. Because we have... Actually, I do have to say I got the title wrong. It's a Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. So we have this little kid named Journey who was raised by her mother, Jessica. Her father's not in the picture. And one day, her grandfather sends a letter to her mom saying, hey, I want to meet my granddaughter. Which is really weird because Jessica and Geronicus, the grandfather, are estranged because we know, we learned from the very beginning of the movie that Geronicus was a brilliant inventor who got 100% fucked over by Gustafsson, his former apprentice. After he got betrayed and got all of his secrets stolen, he kind of just spirals down into a pit of despair. And this is the first time he's ever reached out to Jessica, let alone even mentioned his granddaughter, Journey. So Journey goes to find him, finds this old has-been broken man, and she's, ju she's just this magical child who has all the hope and belief that you need in the Christmas season, and it's her job to help him. This movie has some really good songs in it. It looks beautiful, looks absolutely beautiful. The CG's not bad, because there is a weird little robot droid thing. I know they can't be called droids, blah, blah, blah. There's a weird little robot thing that was one of Jeronicus's inventions that he gave up on that Journey fixed. And yes, you can look at this film as a kid with their little sidekick, kind of like A Boy Called Christmas. It was The Boy Called Christmas and His Mouse. But the good thing is, both of those movies are so much more than that. That's just a trope used in the film. Jingle Jangle, through and through, is a Christmas movie. It has maybe not the most catchy songs, because like only one or two stuck around in my head after viewing it. 
But of course, I think I hold too many musicals to memory of those I've seen before, where I'd seen Phantom and Rent and Singing in the Rain so many times that I do remember more songs. But when I watched those movies once or saw the plays once, I probably didn't remember that many. I do think the music in this is catchy enough. Music by John Legend. Actually, I stand corrected. John Legend was one of the producers and he worked in the music department of the film. And he did write one of the songs. But Jingle Jangle is such a good movie. I think out of all the movies I've listed on this list, it's the best quality. The argument can be made that maybe Klaus is a little better. I But no, I think that Jingle Jangle is the best quality one on this list because it was just so well done. It does have catchy music. I just re-listened to a couple of the songs and it brought me right back. And Keegan-Michael Key has no business being such a good singer. He's a great comedian, great actor, great singer. It is just not fair. And if you have never seen this movie before, do yourself the favor of watching it this year. It's a great movie for Christmas Eve or even Christmas Day. And I was about to ask, where the hell is Madeline Mills? Why hasn't she been in more things? Well, she is still a child, so maybe, you know, is doing the whole school thing. But I think that if she does pursue acting, I think she has a bright future ahead of her. Because she was good, gave a solid performance, and has a wonderful singing voice. And Forrest Whitaker played such a great, sad old man that I believed that someone as charming and cute as Madeline Mills's journey could melt his heart. Jingle Jangle is truly delightful, and that's why it's the final movie on this list. Well, my future friends, thank you for another year of podcasting. Once again, this is the last episode of the year. I will see you again in January, probably not right away, but Future Flicks will be back. Whatever you celebrate this holiday season, I hope you have a great one. But since Christmas has become truly a holiday everyone can celebrate, I hope you have a Merry Christmas, and I'll see you in the future.